Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I just want to remind everyone that we have a Twitter account at RealSpecific, where I will post updates and any memes and things that we produce. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out to us at realspecificpod at gmail.com. Or drop by our anchor.fm page to leave us a voice message that can be added directly into the show. Thanks again, and enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Real Specific. I'm your host, Jake, and I'm here with my friend. Hey, I'm Klaus. This month starts a subject very, very near and dear to my heart. This month we are talking about home invasion movies, specifically invading the homes of the disabled. Now, we're we're done with westerns. We're we're done with that shit. Get it out of here. Throw it away. We're going to my bread and butter, and this week, especially my bread and butter, shitty horror movies. The rest of these aren't going to be shitty, hopefully. But this one, oh my god, Klaus. Klaus. It's so good. I, and it was such a fun shitty movie, though. But, like, definitely some shitty parts. <laughs> but in a fun way. We haven't been doing this for the previous four episodes, but I'm going to say this now. If you have not seen Mischief Night 2013, directed by Richard Shankman, stop the podcast, go find this movie. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Go find this movie, watch it, come back and listen to the podcast afterward. Because if you like bad movies, and especially if you like bad horror movies, this is worth the watch, people. And... I know what you're thinking. You're 60 minutes into this movie and you're like, Jake, why did you make me watch this terrible thing? Why am I still watching this? I'm going to turn it off. No, don't. Because 10 minutes away is probably the two funniest lines of dialogue I've heard in years. Years, people. And I just watched Jupiter Ascending for the first time like a year and a half ago. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's fucking worth it. Just go watch it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Pause now. All right. We're back. You've you've gone and watched Mischief Night 2013. Probably multiple times. Yeah, if you're like me, you watched it three times within the past six days. Is that healthy? No. No, it's not. It's really You've gotten not. your tattoo of <laughs> Mischief Night on your forehead. Yeah, I, I now have a full calf tattoo of the trench coat no, rain slicker wearing guy <laughs> the curious george killer you you've ordered a coat off amazon it's being delivered to your door right now check your door <laughs> go put it on put the hood up and listen to us riff off of this <laughs> terribly awesome movie the character is called the intruder <laughs> no, no 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 i called him curious george in my notes and and that he shall remain it's called the intruder. Oh my god. Alright, today I'm gonna let Klaus walk us through the movie. Terrible decision, really, but... <laughs> no, nah, it's perfect. It's gonna work great. 
Because I literally don't think I could step through scene by scene with this movie without losing my fucking mind, so I'm going to need you to control me today. <laughs> Let, let's, let's start off with a little background information, though, because I feel, yeah. I feel it's important. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the movie and maybe a little bit about the genre and how it might fit in before we dive into this rabbit hole. You're right. Thank you. Let's, let's start with the genre in general. All right. So big picture, we're talking about home invasion horror movies. It's a very large subgenre. It's my personal favorite subgenre of movie, period, because A, horror's great, and B, home invasion is one of the few things that truly terrifies me. So when it's done correctly, it's one of the few things that actually scares me. I feel my heart racing because I'm literally scared and don't know what's happening. On top of that, we're doing Invading the Homes of the Disabled, which, unfortunately, because I, I didn't take a lot of time, I already had an idea of most of the movies I wanted to watch. I think this was the only movie I didn't know about. I kind of went looking for this one. I think we ended up with three blind people and one deaf. I think that's going to be the layout of our month of movies here. I don't, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and spoil what other movies are coming this month, but this one, this one's pretty special. Our main character has psychosomatic blindness. Now, Klaus, I, I brought this movie up to you, what, a week or two ago, and I read you the description of the movie, and what did I say immediately after reading that description? Uh, well, if I recall correctly, you said that... At the end of the movie, something's going to happen, and her sight's going to come back, and she'll save the day because of it. And how correct was I in this assumption? Spoiler alert, 100%. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out, but at the same time, when your plot is that transparent, the rest of the movie better hold up pretty fucking good. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> Alright, let's let's talk about this director starting off. Alright. This guy, Richard Shankman. Thank you very much. Let's look for some noticeable or uh memorable titles from his past. Uh I'm gonna start all the way back in nineteen ninety-two, where he directed Playboy, Playmates in Paradise, video documentary, according to IMDB. That was also a home invasion movie, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it something was, was getting invaded. I don't know if it was something that was getting invaded. Oh, I got him. Uh, 1993, Playboy, International Playmates, video documentary, big air quotes. Lusty Liaisons 2, TV movie. Mm -hmm. The anticipated sequel to the Lusty Argonian Maid from the Elder Scrolls <laughs> series. I wish. Because unfortunately, that was the uh, sequel to Lusty Liaisons, another TV movie, uh, in which he directed two of the segments. Uh, I don't know how many segments there are in Lusty Liaisons, but... Uh, There's 13. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen them. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really hope Richard Shankman isn't this guy's real name, because, I mean, Dick Shank, that's just... that's a porn name written all over it but like prison porn like not good it's <laughs> it's bootlegged it's not very good uh and 
lest we forget, this man also directed Abraham Lincoln vs. Zombies, 2012. Hey, I've heard of that one. Exactly. That's the one I think most people are going to recognize. Now, he did work on some other movies that, according to the internet, have a lot of love out there and have big communities behind them. Like, he didn't direct them, but I think he, like, wrote and produced some sci-fi movies and stuff that apparently have a following. The Man from Earth, I believe, is one of them. He's he's produced a shitload of movies. That's where... That, that's how he makes his money nowadays, is he runs a production company. He's produced a shitload of stuff, and he's currently producing things constantly. It, this This man works. He has a job. He is important. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, he had... Just last year, he had a documentary come out and a movie called Misfits come out, which sounds also pretty horrible. Still doesn't have a rating on IMDb, so I'm assuming just no one has seen it because it's that bad. Oof. All right. Back, back to Mischief Night. Back to Mischief I gotta, I gotta stay focused. Gotta stay focused here. Jesus. I'm, I'm going. You want me to set up the first scene or did you not, want to talk not about the a little more? We got some more to talk about. The subtitle to this episode. Oh, Jesus. More. Yeah, Both exactly. <laughs> the the movie, by the way, is 87 minutes. That's right, people. Didn't even make it to 90. So that's mark of quality. Uh, I don't have the production cost in here, I don't believe. However, I do have its American gross. So keep in mind, it didn't have a wide theater release. It came out on... Uh, Blu-ray, I believe, but had a small theater release. Yeah, limited theatrical release. Oh, one more thing about uh, Richard Shankman. Everyone go to his IMDb page and read his biography on IMDb. Because my favorite part of it is if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven paragraph biography that's on this director on IMDb, you'll notice... IMDb mini-biography by Richard Shankman. And then it gives his AOL email address. <laughs> Hit me up if you want to be on Lusty Argonian Maids 3. Right? What is this? Something and corrections done by A.Nonymous. Yes. Yes. A.Nonymous. What a fantastic editor he is. Yikes. Yep, here it is. Uh, you want to take a stab at how much this movie made in the box office? Just a guess. $50,000. Hey, hey. Give the man some respect, alright? It's more than $50,000. Come on. $50,000. I'm gonna bet that's less than what they paid... Whoever it was whose house they used. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not great. Oh, God. It's on Amazon now, though. You know? Yeah, as long as you got yeah. Amazon Prime, crank that sucker up. <laughs> Don't even have to rent it. As far as all the actors go, throughout this entire movie, I was like, I know that person. I know that person. Where do I know them from? Pretty much everyone in here is a character actor that you have seen on a TV show or another. A lot of them popped up in CSI and NCIS at one point or another, uh, Law and Order. 
the truck driver guy has been in a hundred million things, including the league and two and a half men playing Santa Claus in both. Um, I think, <laughs> I think I read out earlier, he had like 10 or 12 Santa Claus credits alone. And then that lady was on the Sopranos one time. Yeah. The, the, uh, redhead from the beginning of this movie, Erica, what's her last name? Erica Learson. Learson. Yeah. Something like that. She's actually been in some stuff you might've seen, especially if you like bad horror, because she was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. That's the one starring Jessica Biel. This chick plays Pepper in that one. She was also in Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2 as Erica Gearson. To be fair, I haven't seen Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, mostly because it's not free to stream anywhere right now. And I haven't seen the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre probably since like 2005 or 2006. So, you know, take take that as you will. But yes, she also had a one-episode appearance on The Sopranos and one-episode appearance on CSI Miami, I'm assuming as Dead Girl Number One. Uh, that's funny you say that, because on her IMD page, there's a personal quote. It's weird because I always seem to be dead. <laughs> I'm going to have to change that because I don't want to be typecast. <laughs> Too, <laughs> late, the fates of her <laughs> yep. Too late, honey. Too late. It uh, doesn't look like she's done anything since 2014, so uh, I'm going to assume she just aged out like most actresses, which is sad, but it's a harsh fact of Hollywood, so sorry, honey. On that depressing note, <laughs> should we get into the first scene? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Okay. Um, the first kind of chunk of this movie is we open up to a bubble bath scene between, between two characters, these two lovers. Rose petals all over the floor, wine, candles, you know, they're talking about banging themselves, those dirty birds in this clean tub. They're going to sin right there before God and everyone <laughs> watching this movie. Uh, when things go awry and things go wrong, first of all, Nathan Fillon is not this film, but <laughs> the actor looks very similar. So that's who so, I, I named him throughout the film. So you say Nathan Fillion. I say Jamie Lannister. I could see that. <laughs> that that's yeah. my call for this guy. Is he's a poor man's Jamie Lannister. <laughs> so they, they're in the tub and they start hearing noises. And turns out they're cheating or she's cheating on her husband or something. And he's, he's supposed to be in Tokyo or whatever. And he's like, oh man, but what if he's home soon? And so they go to check out the noises, come down the stairs. And there's a set state playing on this film. Here's where my mind is at. I want to see where yours is. Okay. But I'm like, oh, okay. I now understand what this movie's about. The husband must be the blind one. And he found out they're cheating, so now he's going to murder them. Got it. Understand. <laughs> That's why he played the sex tape. That's why he went through all this trouble. Got it. Okay, I understand what's going to happen. Let's, let's see this play out. I read the description of the movie, so I knew that our main character was supposed to be a teenage girl. And the whole time I'm like, well... Neither of these people are teenagers. I don't know how they own this giant house out in the middle of the desert somewhere, but clearly not teenagers. And I'm pretty sure neither of them are blind. There's also some great dialogue here. Sweets for my sweetie? Mmm, don't mind if I do. 
bubbly for my bubbly? Uh, yeah, I don't think, that's not a thing. You want more champagne or not? Of course I do, baby. Here's to having you to myself for the entire weekend. I'm all yours, Will. Every inch of me. Come Monday, you won't be able to walk straight. I'm gonna rip you to shreds. I like the sound of that. <laughs> Where the girl's like, oh, you'll have every inch of me. Okay, are you gonna whip out your giant cock now? Is that what's happening? Am I taking all of you? What? Ugh, what? <laughs> what is this dialogue? Um, Richard uh, Shankman, the, the myth, the legend, has used that line several times before in his previous, <laughs> if you look at his IMDb biography, um, and it has never played wrong. It has always hit. I think, I think one of the segments in Leslie Liaisons was actually every inch of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the best part. The best part is all of it. All of the inches. The second part of the dialogue is then he says, I'm going to tear you to pieces. And I'm like, oh, foreshadowing. Got it. <laughs> yeah, foreshadowing to that thing that we'd never see happen. They go down the stairs, and then I guess no, no, they're no. like... Be before we get downstairs, he's like, oh, shit, it's got to be your husband. He's home. And she just casually drops in with the... If it is him. Yeah. We always say it was dark, and we thought it was an intruder. An honest mistake, self-defense, you know? Yeah. Here's a baseball path. Murder my husband, if that's him. Beat my husband to death, please, so I can get out of my loveless marriage. There, there's a huge trope in slasher films of the ones to do drugs, to drink, to have sex out of wedlock. You know, all of those things. If you sin, you die. That's... A role in slasher movies, I get it. I don't need to be told she's cheating on her husband and also that she would like her husband dead. Like, I don't need to hate this woman to see her be ruthlessly killed. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and the, the other trope that you might know more about, because I don't watch too much horror, the whole, and I don't know, maybe this is bad horror, where the characters just act against logic. Like, they just don't do the most logical thing. So, the greatest horror movies, people act logically, and yet they still come in, come up against a problem. However, most horror movies are not good. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I love the genres, because a lot of horror movies are just bad. For whatever reason, Hollywood has put the stigma on horror movies that you can be poorly written, poorly acted, poorly shot, and still be a decent horror movie. And I think a lot of that is to blame on the people who buy tickets to these shitty films. Because as long as a movie's making money, the producers and shit, they don't give a fuck. They'll, they'll keep pumping these things out as long as they can make money. Point to a giant sign that says Blumhouse Productions. <laughs> But, yeah, so she hands him the baseball bat, which I guess the was just there, whatever. And they go downstairs, and I guess they want some popcorn. I can't remember why they do this. Uh, oh, wait, is, is this the part where she says, swing away, Tommy, swing away? And then he splashes water on all the aliens, and they run out of the house? Oh, that... that's it, yeah. I forgot that happened. I repressed it. And they say, you know, what I could really go for right now really settles the stomach during a home invasion 
It smells like popcorn, I guess. Let's open the microwave. Okay, now I will say it's hard to hear over their sex tape playing, uh, which just magically found its way into the VCR and started playing on its own, I guess, because the uh, the woman in the scene clearly does not believe that anyone has broken into the house yet. But the microwave does ding. It's hard to hear in the movie, but I did hear it. The microwave does ding. And that's why they go to look at the microwave. So I'll I'll let that be. The intruder, as he is known. Curious George. <laughs> clearly went to the microwave, wrote boo in something red. I don't know. It looks like cheap paint or something. Or ketchup, maybe. I don't know. Then closed it and turned it on for the exact amount of time that it would take them to come downstairs and turn off the TV. So, yeah, the... This intruder, man, he's got all the brains. He's got all the smarts. Yeah, he knows smart. what he's doing. Supernatural smarts. Mm-hmm. But he's not supernatural, probably. We'll find out. And then, I forget how he dies. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, I remember. He goes to investigate or something. And then, she starts freaking out. He tells her to hide in the closet. Alright, well, first off, when they're walking around the house... I-, I hate shit like this. But they're walking around the house in towels. Alright, first off... Uh, if anybody out there listening is a Joe Bob Briggs fan, you will be very familiar with his uh, rating system. Klaus, I don't know if you know Joe Bob Briggs. If not, you should go check him out. He's a movie reviewer, and he focuses almost solely on horror movies. And he's made a living off of like hosting horror movie shows on late-night television and stuff. But one of his main roles is no boobs. That's an immediate half or immediate one-star reduction in the rating he does that on a five star scale so i'm a little bit more friendly i still take a point off on my 10 point scale for no boobs in a horror movie i'm sorry but that's just a rule and you know what this movie loses a second point because they tease you with nakedness without showing anything i i don't care if it's a butt cheek a little bit of tits hell even show me uh fake jamie lannister's dong i don't give a shit Give give people something to look at. Clip that. <laughs> That's fine. I don't care. Hey, I'm I'm all for male nudity in movies. I I think everyone should be comfortable with their bodies and just show it off as much as they want. Also, clip that. <laughs> yeah, you tease me with both of them getting out of the bath, but they conveniently hold towels in just the right spots. You tease me again when the woman's walking towards the door. She takes her towel off completely, shows you her bare back. And then wraps it around her body. It's like, come on. On top of that, they get out of this bubble bath. They both have bubbles all over them. And as they walk around the house, the amount of bubbles that are on them changes constantly. Like, the the guy will suddenly have more bubbles on him. And she'll have none on her. And then cut to another shot. She's got bubbles all over her. And he's barely got any. It, it's the most ridiculous thing. And it hurts my brain. So she covered in bubbles or not, we we can never know. Schrodinger's bubbles. She's hiding in the closet. He goes, you know, to investigate with a baseball bat. And the curious George is walking around, sniffing, breathing heavily, as, you know, you do when you're going to murder someone. She's freaking out in the closet. We had that R. Kelly moment. R. Kelly starts playing in the background, trapped in the closet. Um... <laughs> 
And then, is this a part 14? This is part 14. This is the, <laughs> you have to get the director's cut to see this. Uh, this is why this scene didn't really fit the movie is because it was actually part of an R. Kelly music video. Not many people know that. And it was edited in afterwards. Now he's walking in with his combat boots and his yellow rain slicker. He's got an axe. Why does he have an axe? I hear you, R. Kelly. Come on. Just put that in. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, and the guy, the guy goes outside, and we hear him scream, and that's almost the end of that. Girl barely ducks out of the closet to grab the car keys and run downstairs. And this whole scene of, like, it starts with grabbing the keys, like, fumbling like a maniac, and then this weird, like, two-handed grab... Her, her her respiratory rate is through the roof, but her like her pace is is like a grandmother, like at a like racing to the chair at a bingo convention. Like she's she's slightly faster than a walk. It's like watching my seven year old niece try to run without falling. It's really difficult for her to do. So so she takes smaller steps, even though she's quote-unquote running, <laughs> takes smaller steps and just kind of waves her arms around so it looks like she's running. <laughs> yeah, like she's breathing fast and her arms are moving fast, but her legs are just moving at the normal pace. She's, you know, one step at a time down the stairs. She keeps, like, looking over her back and, like, <gasps> gasping randomly. Like, she's it's clearly, like, she's supposed to be afraid. And, and you're, I'm aware that this is a movie and she is frightened (laughs) she's so startled right now very startled so she makes it to the car she drops the keys in the floorboard because of course she fucking does you know why because the script told her to you know what that's why i want to add to since we're getting to the car she had like 30 minutes because that's how long it took her to go from the front door to the car to pull out the (laughs) keys and like have her button on the fob that unlocks it and she did not do that until she got to the car yeah yeah of course because you know, we gotta we gotta get this runtime to ninety minutes. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if she doesn't, if if she unlocks the car on the way to the car, you're cutting out like a good three seconds of movie there, Klaus. You need every you gotta, second you, you can get. Yeah. Oh wait, if she drops the keys here, we can get another like five or six seconds in this scene. People will love it. They've never seen this before. This is a brand new move to work. Totally original. The I mean, you know what? Just. I would clap, but it would ruin my recording, so I'm just going to air clap. Congrats, uh, filmmakers, uh, writers. Writers, you're fantastic. You you did original things. And by original, I mean you're only the five millionth person to write this in a screenplay. She gets in the car. She's freaking out, trying to get the car started, which this is modern times. The car, why? But anyway, she eventually tries to get it open, and then out of nowhere... Is like uh, like a sauna, like an expensive, you know, uh, massage that you might get where they put the stones on your eyes and stuff. There's a mud bath for your car. Well, well, we do get the boyfriend slamming his face against the window, and a oh, bunch yeah. of red stuff that's supposed to be blood, I guess, hits the window, and he just kind of falls beside the car. Uh, that he's dead, I guess. That that's done. She doesn't open the door to check on him or anything, or like no. try to get him in the car. I mean, yeah. I mean, why would you? It's 
it's a poor man's Jamie Lannister. It's not Jamie Lannister, so who gives a shit? I bet she's missing her husband like a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's he's off in El Tokyo. Um Tokyo, Mexico. He's he's big man Japan, so you know, he's like off learning how to be a samurai and shit and she's like, Man, he really could have helped with all his skills. Also, I don't know why, but when he slammed against the glass with the blood and stuff, it conjured images of a Jurassic Park scene and i don't really remember which one but like something similar happened yeah i I see where you're coming from. i was honestly trying to figure out what movie they were stealing from for that shot because we'll get into it more later but there's a lot of things that are stolen from other horror movies that are great horror movies and yet for some reason this terrible horror movie wants you to compare it to these great horror movies and i don't know why other than the writers think that they're good and they're really, really not. So she gets in the car. Boyfriend bloodied, hits the windshield like a bug, splatters to catch up. And then the car gets a mud bath. Yeah, I don't know if it's mud or if it's like cow shit, because it could be either. Who knows where they're finding any of this in the middle of the desert of California? It could be Curious George's, his own excrement <laughs> that he's collected over <laughs> days and has decided, I this is my plan. I've planned this out. I have... I, Looked at the manual to the microwave. I know how to set it. Um, I have my ketchup in hand. I found their sex tape somewhere. (laughs) This is my design. This is my design. (laughs) I'm very smart. I'm very dangerous and very creepy. And uh, she hits the windshield wipers and then, boo, guess who's there? It's her husband. He's returned from this yet. <laughs> I wish. No, it's the intruder, as we're told in the credits. Oh, God, with his wonderful yellow rain jacket and terrible indistinct mask and his big old axe. <laughs> Which he slams into the hood of the car and cut the intro credits. Thanks, movie. We don't even see the woman die. The the guy is killed off screen and just shows up to bleed on a car and she just screams a lot and that's it. I guess she's dead. Okay. And besides like this whole this entire setup of scenes or whatever it is, like is the point that hey, there's the bad guy. He likes this house for some reason and he wears a yellow coat. He's the bad guy. Watch out for him. I believe the point is you can't start a movie with not an action scene, because who would watch a movie that doesn't start with action? I mean, I can't think of any good movie that doesn't have a death in the first five minutes. Can you? I, not a single one. Uh, you know what? The first one that came to mind was The Lion King, but you know what? Somebody died in that too. So. <laughs> Sc- scratch that. Scratch that. Uh, uh, editor. <clears throat> I understand the want to put action at the very beginning of your movie but you know what just start the movie at the beginning if you have a full story you should have enough script by the end of your story to make a full movie out of uh otherwise just go make a short film like quit 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 making me watch people walk around in circles for an hour or and and we'll get into this if you're setting up that you have a tool let's say like a flashback system you know, that you, that you can make use of to flash back, uh, to start, you know, let's just move into the next scene, which which should have <laughs> been the first scene, really. Ignore the, the, the first stuff we talked about, because it's not necessary to understand the rest of the film. It, it literally has no bearing on the rest of the film, what 
so ever. And that's what pisses me off about it. Because I, Once again, I'm fine with starting off with action and stuff if you do it right. And by doing it right, I mean we learn something and that has a bearing later on in the movie. Whereas in this, all we really learn is that it's the day before Halloween and a guy killed people and he's wearing a stupid getup. That's literally all we learned, which is exactly what we will learn, I don't know, in 15, 20 minutes? <laughs> so what's the fucking point? We also learned, I will say, that it's mischief night because Halloween is copyrighted by Hallmark. And you can't use that word um, without uh, I think you Hallmark. mean cabbage night? Cabbage night. <laughs> oh, my cabbages. All right, cut to the best scene in the movie. This is it. This is the best scene. It's all down your watch. <laughs> yeah, literally, after intro credits, we get... This is the best acted scene, and I think it's because of Allie... What's the actress's the name? The therapist, yeah. Yeah, the therapist. Allie Walker. She kills it. Oh, yeah, she's she's doing good work, man. Her and uh, Richard Real... Ryle? Real? I don't know how to say his last name. I'm sorry. Those two actors, man, when they are on screen, they do their fucking job. They act. And this, our main actress, Noelle Cote, Coet, stop spelling names, stupid actors. I can't say your stupid names. Miranda Cosgrove. <laughs> sure. She is a decent little actress when she's acting against other actors. When she's acting against people who think they're actors, she's not very good. Best move, best scene in the movie, you open in a therapist's office, and you have Miranda Cosgrove, who's traumatized by iCarly and her time on the set, and now she can't see because of trauma. But all kidding aside, there's some very good, there's some good emotional uh, facial expressions and nasal flares. You know, very good, very you know, advanced acting techniques. I don't know anything about acting. But there's a truck with the dad, a flashback to the wreck with mom, and we're setting up the flashbacks. Oh, oh we get, you're, whoa, you're speeding through this therapist scene way uh, too fast. I'm just laying, laying the skeleton out so we can break <laughs> the bones and leave the marrow. Well, well, slow it down. Let's just stick with the therapist first. She's hot. In the therapy scene, first off, Noelle Coet is such a good actress, I couldn't even tell she was blind until the therapist said she was blind. I mean, that's how good of an actress she is. We're told that she has psychosomatic blindness and asthma. But seriously, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm doing really well, Dr. Pomick. Like, it might be time for me to lose the Lexapro. Emily. Look, I, I know what you're going to say gonna tell me that the medication makes me feel better and that's why I don't think I need it anymore even though I still do but in that case when, when do you get to stop taking the medication yeah how about when your eyesight returns well that's a cheap shot Emily why is it that you can't see because something happened in the accident some weird like nerve trauma some brain trauma or, or emotional trauma causing conversion disorder, of which your asthma and your blindness are active symptoms. I asked if you'd, if you'd blame someone. Yeah, I'd blame myself. Do you honestly blame yourself 
for your mother's death. I mean, are you really carrying that weight around with you? Because I got to say, if you are, it's a wonder you could stand, let alone see. Look, I don't want to talk about this anymore. If you don't want to talk about something, that, that's probably the precise thing we should be talking about. We've been over this and over it. You asked why you're still on the medication, why you can't see, why you're still in therapy after nine years. Well? You have to tell me. For God's sake. No, that's the way that it works, kiddo. Okay, you have the answer. Oh, well, then what's the question? Why do you blame yourself for your mother's death? Because it was my fault. It's not that she has panic attacks because she's suffering from PTSD from a traumatizing event. No, 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 no. It's psychosomatic asthma. <laughs> Let's not do the thing that would make sense. Let's make up a thing that makes no sense. Because <laughs> no one has an inhaler for fucking panic attacks. So, <sighs> oh, fuck me. The psychosomatic blindness is caused by her... It was happened after she was in a terrible car crash in which her mother was driving, her mother died in the wreck, and this was nine years ago. Okay, so we're just full-on talk your way through the trauma and your eyesight will come back. That's established first fucking thing. Yeah, and I do like this scene at least it has a point to it, as opposed to the first couple scenes. We set up why the character's blind, why she's blind, and that it can be fixed, and here's what has to, she has to basically face this trauma to for it to come back, which will come back later in the movie. The feasibility of this stuff, like, physiologically, psychologically, maybe is less sound, whatever. I can just suspend my disbelief long enough to get through this not even 90 minutes. Klaus, I'm a screenplay writer, okay? I'm not a doctor, all right? I'm just making up fake medical shit so it fits my screenplay, all right? Stop fucking picking it apart. Go! Yeah, don't don't bring up the fact that beta agonists can actually induce um, panic attack-like symptomology um, or side effects. But you know what? Whatever. To each their own. Suck on that inhaler, babe. <laughs> After bitching with her therapist for a little while, she gets in the car with Dad. She doesn't want to talk about the therapy stuff. They hit a pothole. She bangs her head against the window. A quick flash of her in the wreck with her mom. Like, so quick you can't tell anything. It's just screeching tires and glass breaking, I think. Then we get a phone call from the boyfriend character, which we don't hear his voice yet. It's just her talking on the phone to herself. Uh, I don't think we really learn anything else important. There's this next chunk. is just like a lot of setup. And, and some of the setup makes sense and comes back, and some of it just doesn't. Like, it doesn't come back. It doesn't make sense. We get these flashbacks, like you're saying. But then, do we really ever... I keep waiting for these flashbacks to connect. Like, something with the car crash connect to the intruder somehow. Like, they crash their car into her or something. But does it ever come? Like, does that ever really come up? After the initial flashback, so we're in the truck with Dad... And we flash back to the therapist's office for a quick hot minute. And I don't even remember what, like, what the therapist was saying to her during that part. Oh yeah, I literally wrote down, only here to establish that we may flash back to that meeting later as well. 
<laughs> yeah. That that's literally the only reason we have a flashback here is because oh yeah, we're doing a flashback later. Will that be weird if we don't have any other flashbacks? Oh yeah, that would be weird. So better squeeze this in there. And um and just to kind of set the scene for these next chunks of scenes that come back to back. Like, you can almost categorize them in two ways. One, the first thing is that the idea, the setup that Mischief Knight kind of sets up for the main characters to kind of write off red flags and warning signs because, oh, it's just Mischief Knight, is, is a decent premise. I'm okay with that. As the dad says, Cabbage Knight. Because back in my day in 1925, when I was a youngster in high school, we called it Cabbage Knight. And we played with rotten cabbages, and we threw them all over the place, like a monkey with feces. <sighs> Maybe that's what the car bath was in the beginning scene. But yeah, you can you can set up, you can categorize these setups in, into two things is what I saw. One is that um, setting up her abilities, basically saying she has some enhanced abilities because she's blind. And two starting to set up these red flags that something else is going on, and she's writing them off. Do you want to get into those? Well, by her enhanced abilities, you mean her ability to make a hamburger, right? Because we get served up to like a four or five minute scene of her making herself dinner because she's not 12. She can make her own food, okay? Damn straight. <laughs> Damn straight. Uh, you know she's blind because she misses some of the ketchup on the bun. That's how you know she's blind. She's mm. legit blind, yeah. I'm buying it. That's all I'm saying. She stares straight ahead. Okay, I got it. All right. She can smell things that aren't there. <laughs> Feels the uh, toaster oven so that she knows it's preheated to the exact right temperature with just the palm of her hand. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> God, if anyone blind is out there listening, please... Send me either a voice message on Anchor or a fucking comment on whatever platform you're listening on, whatever. Please let me know, like, do you have to have things in your freezer specially marked so you know what you're grabbing? Or do you just do it by feel? Uh, because this chick is literally just opening the door, grabbing something out of it, and she's like, yep, that's exactly what I needed. First two tries. Fucking miracle. I, I get that, like, being blind is not a death sentence by any fucking means, but I'm assuming there are some tricks and tips, you know, some life hacks that go into making life easier for yourself. I, I just, I, I need to know these things. And if I was writing a script with a blind person as my main character, I would probably do some research and talk to some blind people about how they get their day-to-day -day life and how that may differ from my day-to-day -day life. Just saying. Tip number one being, uh, just smell better. Dude, just like your sense of smell, like do better, be it, be better. Yeah. So her, uh, she's just chilling in her room, listening to some music and reading. We see the window open up behind her. Somebody sneaking in through the window, and before they make it to her, she flips over and grabs him. Oh, it's her boyfriend! Ha ha ha! Really faked you out there, didn't we, audience? And she knew it was him because he, quote unquote. Smells like someone who's been playing football for two hours. <laughs> Can't make it through my line without laughing because it's so fucking ridiculous. And the the next thing she does with him, she the sensation wise, is she can feel his hair and her her fingertips are have adapted. 
to daredevil level of, of sensitivity. She can feel the dye, the hair dye. Yeah, I, I've i never actually colored my hair, like dyed it, dyed it. I've done the shitty, like, cheap spray on hair dye stuff before, and that kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it feels about like, you know, hairspray. Like, it makes your hair stiff and crappy feeling. So, like, if it was that kind of thing, I would understand, but this guy just looks like he got his hair bleached because he's blonde. I, I guess she can feel that. I don't, I don't know. And and what I'm getting from these, these little nitpick little notes is that, oh, this is going to come back. She's going to sniff the bad guy later. She's going to feel his hair for some reason. And She's going to hear him all the way across the house. Right. Something. Right. Something yeah. like that. But more important than that is, uh, hey, actors, make out between every line of dialogue because, once again, we got to make this 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Do you know how long that is? I don't know any movie that's ever made it past like 95. I don't know the minute cut off to like what a short film is, but I feel like they were really worried they needed to hit the 60 minute mark or something <laughs> to like make sure they weren't in that category. So I think technically feature film length is like 70 minutes is the minimum, like bare minimum. But most people will tell you 90 minutes is the minimum of what you want for an actual movie movie. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to put it in theaters, you better hit the fucking 90-minute mark. Yeah, like, a screenplay, when you sit down to write your screenplay, the uh, one of the main books that's used by screenplay writers that is kind of known as the Bible of screenplay writing, it basically tells you to write a screenplay big enough to be a two-and-a-half-hour movie, maybe even a little more than a two-and-a-half-hour movie, with the expectation that it's going to get cut down to somewhere between 90 to 120 minutes. Like, that that's kind of what you're expecting to happen. So when you end up with a movie that's less than 90 minutes, that means you probably wrote about 95 pages of script and you cut a scene or two. Either that or you had like 70 pages of script and a lot of filler. Like an entire scene at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay. But yeah, so we have the boyfriend sneaks in. She can smell him because she's not, she's Daredevil. Wait a minute. Did you color your hair? Oh Jesus! You can feel that? Yes. Yeah, me and the guys went yesterday. <laughs> God, maybe you are Daredevil. Maybe, but I prefer Batman or uh, the Hulk. Smash. <laughs> While the boyfriend's in the room, the dad starts coming back upstairs, uh, we, and we've ar- we've already missed some, like, uh, the house gets egged earlier, uh, the dad has to go outside and wash the egg off the front of the house, uh, we get treated to the big boo in red ketchup or paint or whatever on the outside of the house. While the boyfriend's in her room, dad is coming back inside to let main actress know that He's about to leave to go on his date. So the boyfriend character just jumps back out the window and he's gone, I guess. I mean, I don't know about you, but when if I was 18 years old and I was sneaking into my girlfriend's house already and I knew her dad was about to be leaving for the rest of the night, I wouldn't exactly just be jumping out the window and be gone for the rest of the night. I, I, I think I'd be... Uh, waiting outside until he pulled out of the garage and then hopping back through the window, all right? 
I don't I don't know why this kid just suddenly disappears, but he does. And so she yeah, she's uh just sitting in the house all by herself. What was she doing? Was was she watching TV at this point or something? I don't know. Yeah, she was like cooking or making coffee or something in a weird way, scooping it out of the pan, which is how I make coffee. <laughs> yeah, I think it was tea. I don't know. It was something. Hot chocolate tea. Something. Who the fuck knows? But she's sitting down with a warm mug of something and the fire alarm starts going off and she's all freaking out trying to figure out where the smoke is. I, I don't feel smoke over the oven. Well, yeah. I, don't. <laughs> I mean, you can feel heat, but what? Yeah, I thought she was like, she felt for heat and then she made sure the oven was off, which she had it off. Which I guess, like, how did the, this is getting ahead, like, how did the intruder, Curious George, how did he cause the fire alarm? Did he just, like, light up a cigarette and, like, hold it up for three <laughs> seconds and run away? As, as you know, most intruders just give off a natural smoke. That's actually the first warning sign that there's an intruder in your house is a fire alarm going off. M- not many people know that, but these writers were smart enough to incorporate that into the script. That's so. why you have to take the batteries out. Yeah. yeah. They prevent something coming in now. <laughs> God damn it. So anyway, she's trying to waft the smoke away from this uh, smoke alarm, which apparently is attached to a fucking 20-foot ceiling or something. I don't know. Hops her blind ass up on the counter and knocks a bowl of fruit off, and the bowl just shatters glass every fucking where all over the floor. And that sets up the next, like, ten minutes of her narrowly missing the glass for ten fucking minutes. Over and over again. And the glass is, like, center of the shot every time, so you literally can't think of anything else other than... Okay, is she stepping on it this time? Please tell me she steps on it this time, because I'm tired of looking at this fucking dead glass in the middle of the shot. When she's standing on the island, she's, like, on the edge. Like, her feet are off the edge for reasons unknown. I guess just, let's make this as stressful as possible, because we're not actually scary. We're just going to have scary glass. This is the only way we're getting tension in the shot, because God knows there's no tension throughout most of this movie. If if it wasn't for the music telling me to be tense, I wouldn't know what to feel. But yeah, you, you basically, she apparently forgets about the food bowl, the broken bowl, the glass everywhere. You as the viewer cannot, because it's in every scene forever, gets close up all the time. And there's a bang at the door. <laughs> oh no, there's a bang at the door. And she just starts yelling. And then she's like, well, fuck it. I'll close the curtains on one side of one room and then turn off one light. And uh, that fixes that. Yep. Don't Don't worry about all the windows on the other side of the house or anything. Just, you know, that that's fine. Problem solved. So she sits down. She turns on the TV, and here's another one of your connections to, like, an actual good movie, because it's on TV. What is it? Oh, God. She is literally sitting on the couch watching Night of the Living Dead on TV. So, once again, you're drawing comparisons of Night of the Living Dead to your movie, Mischief Night. You really want me to be thinking about one of the greatest classics of horror while I'm watching Mischief Night? I don't think you want that, Richard Shankman. Look, Dick Shank, 
Nobody wants to think about a good movie while watching a shitty movie, okay? Because all it does is make them say, fuck it, I'm going to turn off this shitty movie and go watch a good movie. Holy fuck. And this is not even the last time he's going to do that. Don't worry. They do it like three more fucking times with other great horror movies. God damn it. Hate this guy. So she's she's watching a much better movie. Uh, you know what, what would have made this movie better? Is that they have just they they do what they did so far. And now they just leave it on that scene. And they just, you're, you're watching, you know, Night of the Living Dead, just over her shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been that, better. That's the rest of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Just the whole. I'd be on board with that. Just like, it just turns into a uh, commentary track with her. Kind of like a Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> just so with her, though. She spills her <laughs> chocolate at some point, gets up and walks away, you know, gets out of the picture a little bit. Steps on a giant piece of glass and then yeah. does nothing about it she for to the 20 minutes. For a few minutes, old Curious George comes <laughs> in, he watches for a little bit, pops some popcorn, writes boo, and catch up. So that that's the only important part of this Night of the Living Dead scene is that the, the intruder gets into the house because the TV's really loud and she can't hear him opening and closing the door. So this is when he gets into the house, I guess. Dad said the doors are locked. All good. And the scene, they do actually line the scene up pretty well, where there's the scene in the, uh, in the movie she's watching where there's like a, she's focusing on a door or whatever, and at the same time, that's when the intruder's look, going through his door. But yeah, he gets in. Yeah, so I mean, this movie is basically as good as Night of the Living Dead, is what basically. we're saying. Then she gets a phone call. The next, uh, just before we move to the, the phone call, the next like few minutes are hilarious to me. Because it's like the intruder doing creepy things, but I don't know if he just doesn't realize she can't see it. Because <laughs> he's like doing these creepy things, and like he clearly gets off on fear, but like she can't see him, so she's not afraid. And he's like, "What the hell? I'm like standing right here. Like, you not see me? I have a knife. It's it's sharp. I promise." God almighty. Yeah, like there's a jump scare earlier in the movie where she's like putting something in the washing machine or something and he just like pops into the framing of the window from outside and she doesn't react at all and he's just like, hmm? Tilts his head to the side. He's like, I'm right here. Like, (laughs) this is serious. He's just like, what are you, blind? And then he gets really embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh shit. That's, that was really not okay for me to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to kill your aunt. Uh, so yeah, the, the aunt calls and she has the greatest reason to call someone that has ever existed. Lauren calling. Lauren. Hey. Hey, Em. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, is my brother on his date? Amazingly. <laughs> you know what that is? That is uh, one giant leap for mankind right there. <laughs> you should have done this a long time ago. Mm, yep. So listen, I'm, I'm going to stop by. Okay, what's up? Uh, well, you know that costume you wore in first grade? Uh, the rag doll? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't Caroline look adorable in that? I uh, mentioned it to her, and she wants to wear it, you know, so she can be like her, her big cousin M. <laughs> Sweet. I'll see if I can find it. All right, and I'll stop by in about 15 minutes to help you look. I know that you're 17 now, and that you and your dad have been dealing with this whole your mom dying nine years ago thing, 
and you just moved into a new house a few months ago, so I'm sure you know where every possession you ever had is right this very moment. I need to borrow that costume that you wore when you were in kindergarten. You know the one like a few months before the crash where your mom died? Also, I'm sure you know exactly where that is and it's easy to find because, you know, you've been blind for nine years and you just moved. Top two stressful events in your life. So that's cool. I'll be over later. Immediately steps on a giant shard of glass. (laughs) Finally. Yeah, literally been waiting way too long for that to happen. And there's, it bleeds a little bit, I guess, sort of. All right, for a horror movie, I'm sorry. All right, A, for a horror movie, somebody gets a giant fucking gash in them. I want to see blood trailing every fucking where. By the end of this movie, with all the wounds that are going on in this house, the walls should be red like the Manson family just showed up, all right? Like... There should be blood every fucking where, and it's just not there. Like, she steps on a giant piece of glass, there's a little pool of blood right where she stepped, and then that's it. And it's weird, too, because there's, like, there's scenes later, like, with the ant, where they use, you know, a decent amount of blood, and then they just don't for other parts. And it's like, why you have it, don't you? I'll tell you why, because I'm sure their budget was, like, $20,000 or whatever. They bought one gallon of blood and they're like, this this is it. Ration it. They could afford one gallon of corn syrup and one packet of red dye and that was all they had in the budget, alright? Nobody could throw 20 bucks in. So, oh god, it's so terrible. And like, just as a comparison for real life, my father once stepped on a broken bottle. It, It was a cut very similar to what this girl got in this movie, all right? I'm talking sharp pointed bottles straight through the middle of the foot. And I wasn't living here at the time. So my dad calls me. I'm all the way across the county. And he's like, hey, I need to go to the emergency room, but I can't drive because if I let go of the t-shirt I have wrapped around my foot, blood goes every fucking where. And I'm like, okay, I'll come get you, you know. Come to pick him up. When I get here, there is a literal blood trail from out in the yard leading into the house that I could follow very easily because it was a contiguous fucking line of blood just all throughout the house. It looked like what you expect a horror movie to look like, and that was real life. So when I watch a horror movie and it doesn't look like real life or a horror movie, it's fucking terrible. I am so underwhelmed that I don't know what to do with myself anymore. And neither did curious george this is right before the ant arrives and he's in the house and she's like walking around trying to clean glass of her whatever and and he's right there he's and he's like oh can't you see me i'm supposed you're supposed to run and and she can't smell him for earlier in the movie they set up oh she has good smell she can smell her boyfriend her nose is good nose good got it got it thanks movie got it understand and then now i'm like okay she's gonna smell him Got it. Okay, wait. You just missed the fact that his yellow raincoat is airtight. So, yeah, no sense. It's just a rubber smell, you know? And she smells that all the time because yeah. I don't know why, but she does. <laughs> I would have taken, I would have accepted her at least like raising an eyebrow and like, huh, what is that? And then writing it off as like 
must be something else. I, I would have accepted that, but they don't address it at all. Or if earlier there had actually been like a little bit of fire and smoke so that when she's smelling something weird, it's just that burnt smell. Yeah, you know? it's covered by the, yeah, something like that. She's sitting down to watch a horror movie, have her pop some popcorn. She pops it for too long because she's stupid and she just did the timer too long. And it, the bag catches on fire. Therefore, there's a burnt smell throughout the house. And she bitches and complains about the burnt smell throughout the house for the rest of the movie. And it fucks with her sense of smell so she can't smell the fucking killer right next to her. And that's how you get around it. I'm sorry, writers. Can you not think for five fucking seconds about how to fix your own plot? <laughs> The, the problem is they think for like one and a half seconds and they think we're going to set up that she has good smell and then they just stop and they don't take it like the next, you know, three and a half seconds. It's almost like they forget what they did two pages earlier in the script every time they do something. I, I'm pretty sure the only thing that they remembered was, oh, yeah, she's blind. Oh, wait, but she can cure her blindness with the power of therapy. You know what? That therapist wasn't very good because, like, she did it in, like, her garage. <laughs> so, beep, beep, honk, honk, ants arrives. Hey, uh, my my sweet, sweet niece, give me your costume and I'm going to leave you. Bye. <laughs> yeah, the, it was a really, really quick, like, <laughs> thank you for the costume. You're great. Let's talk about boys for five sentences. Okay, bye. <laughs> There were some, like, there were some decent, uh, you know, foreshadowing or whatever with the truck is still in the garage. Yeah, we do learn Dad's truck is still in the garage, so he clearly never left the house to go on his date. Also, you get a nice shot of the window that had Boo under it earlier in the movie. Yeah, Boo's not there anymore. I'm assuming that was just filmed later. <laughs> I guess he washed it off or whatever. I, I would have preferred they kept it. Like, because the logic is either he washed it off or it's a plot inconsistency, which is probably, you know, that's transcendent and they didn't circle that one. Yeah. Or what they could have done is just left it and then just tossed it up to like, oh, Mr. Knight, the egg throwers also wrote boo. Yeah. Uh, oh, it, but it's just missing. Whatever. It, this is a very small thing to nitpick, yeah. but I'm doing it anyway because this movie enrages me. But this does eventually lead to... The ant's, like, yelling back up to Emily about the door being open. Oh, Emily, I forgot. Emily, make sure you don't leave the door open. Your father will kill As she's yelling this, the fucking intruder comes up from behind and just shoves a knife through her bottom jaw and up into her head. We're treated to a wonderful gushing of blood right out of her mouth and nose and everything. I liked that a lot. Like, it just sudden violence with lots of blood. I'm always for it. Do it more. I love it. Yeah, so Curious George kills the ant. But, like, the whole scene leading up to with, like, the boy talk and getting the costume and everything, the ant walks by Curious George, like, 12 times. Oh, yeah, he's just standing out in the open in a mildly shadowed corner. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, is the ant also, is she the blind character and, and the daughter is not? Well, to be fair, if you paid attention when she was on the phone driving her car, 
she never once looks at the road in front of her. <laughs> She's constantly looking to the side and looking up and pretty much anywhere except for where you should be looking while driving. So, yeah, <laughs> she very well could be blind. <laughs> she just has ADD. All right. All right. Okay. So she's dead, blood everywhere. They used all of their one gallon of blood on this scene. Yeah, yeah. The, this, all right, well, there's one scene later in the movie that also has some great gore and violence, but mm. th- this is the first time you'll see blood, really. And don't get used to that, because you won't see it again until the last five minutes. So the ant is dead, and her body disappears. We'll find out where it is later. And now Emily is starting to freak out. She's in that beginning, kind of in-between stage. Yeah, she's like walking around talking to herself. Like, she's yelling for her aunt, but really she's just yelling at dead air. Tries to find her cell phone. Her cell phone's not in the same place that it was, or she doesn't think it is. Like, she has a freak out and goes and grabs her inhaler, because panic attack equals inhaler, I guess. This is the most ridiculous part to me. So the killer has the ant's cell phone. Like, he's standing maybe three or four feet away from Emily. Pulls out the cell phone and calls Emily's cell phone from the ants. Emily answers it. You can hear her voice echoing through the ant's phone just a few feet away. And yet she doesn't react to it at all. Hello? Hello, Warren? Once again, I'm pretty sure she's blind, not deaf, so what the fuck is the problem here? (laughs) Yeah, and this whole scene would be really cool if she reacted to it. Because you set up, again, it's the thing where you set up that she's pretty good at hearing. She can listen pretty well. She's she's adapted. And then you get to where it matters and you're expecting because they set it up that she's going to, it's going to come into play again and then it just doesn't. Yeah, no, just totally ignore all of that. There, There is a moment, I think maybe right before the phone call or right after it. She like, I don't know if she can smell them. I think the acting is actually decent in this like few seconds. She says a little bit later, I could hear him breathing. Okay. So maybe that's what it is. It's still weird she doesn't react to the phone, but like she can, she tells something, can tell something's wrong and something's there. She says hello. She, the phone call happens and then she sprints out. Well, she, she grabs a knife and flails it around all crazy because I'm blind. I'm I'm very convincingly showing you that I am blind as I run around the house back upstairs to my room. Boyfriend shows up again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when she runs out of this room, she just magically happens to run around the killer instead of straight into him where she would have run. Yeah, and that would have actually been, like, better than if she, like, shoulder-checked him on accident and freaked out. Like, full-on body check. Yeah. But she, she runs upstairs right before the boyfriend shows up again, goes into a bathroom, locks herself in there, is freaking out, but her, she dropped her inhaler. Her phone suddenly doesn't work. You know, call 911. Yeah, that's later. 
this this is where the boyfriend shows up and she's all freaking out and he's like just hold my hand or whatever i'm gonna borrow your knife and we'll go clear the house and make sure nobody's here they just kind of like slowly walk around for a little while and then they get to this like weird attic room cool (laughs) what's the deal in here my dad doesn't like me coming in here this is where he keeps my mom's stuff it's pretty uh is this your mom just leave it just leave it let's just leave everything Um, okay, your mom died nine years ago and your dad still has, like, an entire shrine room for her stuff? This isn't healthy. Yeah, none of this is healthy, guys. We we really need to go back to therapy if this is still going on nine years later. Right? I'm glad you said that, too, because we talked a little bit earlier about the flashbacks to the therapist slash the crash. We talked about, man, it'd be really great if they used that, you know, not just at the beginning and the end. This would have made this whole mom stuff make sense if they put a flashback here. If that calls some sort of flashback yeah. that mattered a little more. The, this little piece is only here to establish that there is an attic type room so that you're not shocked when you see an unfinished room later. That's literally the only reason this is here. I appreciate them showing that this room exists, but we need a better reason, guys. We And you already have the reason. You're clearing the house. All you have to do is walk into every room in the house. But we don't do that either. We literally check, like, two rooms, this being one of them, and then we walk down to the kitchen, and that's when suddenly she has a limp. She hasn't been limping since she stepped on that glass, but now she is because boyfriend's here i guess so now it's time to limp and he's like oh well i gotta we gotta fix this like i gotta go find gauze and tape she and she suddenly goes from very freaked out to semi-okay and and is okay with splitting up now where she wasn't a couple seconds before and boyfriend disappears to go get the tape and whatever it is we've totally forgotten about the aunt by now she's she's just gone She's I mean, gone. that that was like a whole two minutes ago. Like, She's no reason dwelling on it. I've been dwelling over my mother for nine years, but my aunt, fuck that bitch. And then a uh, boyfriend walks out of the scene. And uh, yeah, don't worry about him. He's gone. We may see him later in the movie. Who knows? Who cares? Um, <laughs> killer comes walking in and he's being all quiet, doing his creepy killer thing. And I will say, this is the one scene where I kind of got, like, creepy vibes, which was Killer walking in, and Emily's like, oh, there you are, boyfriend. And he just kind of, like, reaches up and brushes her hair behind her ear and, like, tells her to shush or something like that. And then she figures out that it's not boyfriend, so she runs away. And this may be giving them credit that they don't deserve, but she figured that out or freaked out at least when she put her hand up to his hair and we see later maybe that's the difference maybe that's how she tell which is again that would work with setting up she can she can sense things by feel and then giving a payoff for that setup but 
why do we need the smell setup and the touch setup and the hearing setup? Like, Jesus if Christ. You're not gonna deliver on them. Yeah. Like, we get it. She has more senses than sight. We get it. Like, it's, and it's an interesting concept, but they only deliver on, on it so rarely and in not in great ways, and they just ignore it other times. Yeah. I, I'm all for setup and payoff, but choose one. Don't, don't do all four other senses. Just choose one. Yeah. Don't set up four senses and then just use one. So, yeah, yeah. this is, this is the one good creepy part for the movie. That's that's my one positive note for the entire fucking movie is this one little piece. So she she freaks out, sprints out, drops her inhaler. This is where she goes into the bathroom, mm-hmm. locks herself in. Phone suddenly isn't working. Trying to call nine one one. Call dad. Yeah. The idea here is that when she was running away from the killer, uh, she drops her phone and the phone gets all broke up, and is now janky and stupid. And, you know, that's fine. It's a modern-day movie in 2013. Everybody has cell phones, and cell phones are these magic devices that can do anything now, so we have to come up with a way to get rid of this magic device, and that's fine. That's every horror movie since, like, 2003 has had to do this. I get it. Then she has a panic attack, passes out because she doesn't have her inhaler, and, you know, inhalers do help with panic attacks. God damn it, I fucking hate this. I hate that she has psychosomatic asthma. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah, I I tried to look into it a little bit. and Did you know? Yeah, and I found, like, that it could possibly used, be used with panic attacks, but there's not great evidence with it because... Generally speaking, the adherence is bad, and the people getting anxiety attacks use them too much. And when you use them too much, they induce further, you know, like your heart rate goes up, tachycardia, sweating, like, and can actually induce further anxiety attacks. So they can they help open up the airways? Yes, they induce bronco relaxation, and your airways open up. Yes. But in in theory, they can work. But in practice, they're probably not a great idea. There's other things that could be better to I was about to say, just speaking out of personal experience, generally, if you're dealing with anxiety, you take something like Xanax. Xanax works great for anxiety. I take it all the fucking time. And it works great. Right. And it's, it's like trying to target a symptom and not the root cause of it. And... It, it's fucking terrible. I, the, that, that's just the one thing, like, out of all the poor writing things, psychosomatic asthma has to be one of the worst. <laughs> just because just like a quick Google would would solve yeah. all of that. <laughs> and like, you know, the, the blindness is kind of core to the concept of the film. The asthma is not. I think you could easily have taken that out and probably found ways to make her pass out or other issues yeah, exactly but klaus without the asthma how does she pass out in the bathroom just have her have an anxiety attack <laughs> exactly <That's insane. laughs> oh ah. god uh so yeah suddenly the phone is stupid and can't do anything right but somehow she still receives a call from the woman her dad was supposed to be on a date with 
for whatever reason, there's a bunch of static and it's a bad connection and she can hear the woman on the phone, but the woman can't hear her. To be fair, I'm sure we've all had something similar happen before, but it wasn't in our house where we generally have good signals. Probably like at the beach or something like that, where somewhere that's notoriously bad signal. We do learn, so we learn earlier from the aunt that his truck is still there, and Emily writes it off as like, oh, I guess maybe he picked him up. I thought he was going, but whatever. Nothing weird has happened yet. Maybe she picked him up, even though explicitly stated earlier in the movie that he was picking her up, and he explicitly stated earlier that he was locking the doors and driving away. Uh, I didn't hear him drive away, but I still assumed that he did because I'm stupid. Yeah. So, yeah, write that off as, you know, nothing weird has happened yet, okay. And then you learn from this call that he never showed up, so you know that's not the case. And so there's there's some background information coming concerning your dad that will come up in just a few minutes, basically. Immediately after that ends, she decides to call her dad's phone, which she has already done this earlier in the movie. She has called her dad's phone. But this time, she can hear the phone ringing a room away. You didn't hear that the last time? Where the fuck was his phone then? And and this I kind of want to dig in and see what you think about Curious George, the intruder, the villain, the the whore, whatever you want to call them. Because there are moments in this film that set them up. There's some villains like Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger that are like mystical or something. They're supernatural. They're not just human beings. Right. And there are things in this film that set up the intruder as supernatural. They're like, they every, either everything is meticulously planned and timed perfectly. You know, maybe they got the, the phone, they turned it off, so it goes straight to voicemail earlier in the film. And now that they, they've gotten this set up, they're turning it back on. So, there's parts of it that set up uh, this sort of mystical quality of being able to just stand very still and people not notice him. And there's other moments we'll see later in the film where they are very much not supernatural. They are a human. They are a person. And the movie can't seem to decide which way they are. I'm pretty sure they were trying to go for like, isn't this scary? It could happen to anyone. Because... You're not paying attention when you think you're in a safe place, which is the general rule for home invasion movies is if someone sneaks into the house, gets in without you knowing, and they're just like inside your house watching, that's terrifying Mm -hmm. because you're just walking around your house doing the same shit you do every day while Mr. Murderer is in your closet watching through the slits in the door, you know? That's terrifying because there are serial killers who did that exact same thing. Real-life serial killers. That's part of what makes home invasion horror so fucking terrifying to me is that stuff like that is stuff that can be done and has been done before. But this, it's just like, it's not him hiding in the closet and watching. It's him literally standing in a corner with two lights on instead of three, and people just don't even notice him. Yeah, it, it, it's really, sometimes it, it reads like this is a real thing that could happen in real life, but then so much stuff just lines up perfectly for them, or the person is just so genius level at planning that it slides into this is a supernatural thing. But it's it's clearly not. And he's like super strong and super quiet, apparently, because he can just 
move bodies, living or dead, at will, they can be completely silent the whole time. Because yeah. let, let's be clear, for what we're about to get to, which is Emily finding her dad tied up in a closet, he would have had to knock out dad in the garage or downstairs somewhere, tie him up, and carry his ass upstairs and put him in a closet. Without anyone noticing. Yeah, no noise. Emily doesn't notice at all. And I th- I really think the film would have been better if they just picked one and leaned into it. We get in a little later a reason why maybe this person is capable of more than a normal singular individual would be able to do. But I still think it would have been much better if they just said this is a mystical mischief you know, Michael Myers-esque, like, supernatural entity that can do supernatural things. Klaus, you know how you solve that? You have him tied up in the back of the truck. He was still unconscious when the ant showed up, and that's why he wasn't making any noise, and now he's making noise and Emily fights him. Yeah. Easy! But no, we have to fucking fuck with your head about how did he get the body up there. He didn't, alright? That That's the real hard truth of it is... If it was a fucking human being, there's no fucking way this happens. To get back to it, she's calling on her phone. 911 didn't work, so she's trying to call her dad, and she could hear the phone ringing. And she decides to, hey, there's some smart logic here. She breaks a mirror, gets a sharp piece of glass, okay? And she starts walking through the quiet house to find her dad and finds him in a closet. And he's got duct tape over his mouth and his hand, or hands and feet are duct taped, hands are duct taped on his back. And he's like... Cut my hands free, cut my hands free. This blind girl just takes this giant shard of broken glass, slips it right between his hands, and cuts that tape like a goddamn pro. What? (laughs) Like, like if that had been real life, she definitely would have stabbed him. There's a moment here where the boyfriend is still gone. And this is part of the movie where I'm starting to think the boyfriend's out on it. We'll see later why that just isn't true. But I was starting to be like, who? who is... I'm starting to question who this person is and how they know the house so well and all of this. But the dad gets out. He looks outside. I'm trying to remember the order of this because he sees the axe, but then he also gets his gun. All right, so they come out of the closet. They're in the dad's bedroom. Emily kind of fills him in on what all's happening, and he's just like, I don't know. I was knocked out, and that was it. Dad, there's someone in the house. Oh, my God. He hit me as I was leaving, and he... God, he knocked me out. Who would do this? I don't know, but we gotta get out of here. He's still here. Come on. What's happening? He's just outside. Are you okay? What happened? I think I hit him. Are you sure? I gotta get my gun. So he goes to the closet, pulls out the lockbox with the gun in it. Everybody, I know if you're a quote-unquote responsible gun owner, this is how you're supposed to keep your gun in your house, in a locked place with the bullets not loaded in the gun already. But if you're literally in a home invasion scenario and you need to protect yourself, almost every fucking time, if it's in a lockbox and the ammo's not already loaded in it, you're already fucked. Sorry, that's just how it's going to be. Especially on a revolver. Like a handgun, a pistol where you can just slam a clip into it. But like this where he's putting one bullet into the chamber at a time. 
So he's fumbling with the bullets. He's trying to load the gun. Here's the next big horror movie reference. The fucking killer is just hacking away at the door with an axe. And it's basically the shot from The Shining, except for done bad. Yeah, thanks. I want to compare The Shining to fucking Mischief Night. Thank you, filmmaker. Fucking Dick Shank. Dick Shank, go fuck yourself with this reference. God damn it. So the... (laughs) The uh, Curious George is hacking down Shining style the door. He looks through, similar to how Jack did. And that's when the dad pulls the trigger, I guess aiming for the head. And turns out dad isn't Clint Eastwood, and he really just should have aimed for center of mass. Uh, And he misses. If you're going to own a gun, go shoot at the range regularly. If you own a gun, know how to use it. Know how to shoot whatever it is you're aiming at. This fucking guy, he he does manage to wing the killer, so, you know, yay, you hit him at least, and we're served up to a wonderful blood trail to prove that he hit him, although in reality, this blood trail would have just been Emily's cut foot bleeding all over the goddamn house. Or or the blood of the ant whose body was dragged to a place we will find out later in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. But the the next couple minutes, we see... The dad does this multiple times, where they move somewhere in the house, and then they split up, and they go somewhere else, and they split up, and they go somewhere else, and they split up. And I'm like, I don't know anyone in that situation who would split up, much less a father and a daughter. It's the Scooby-Doo rules. Um, if, if you're in a group in a horror situation, you have to split up, because that's what the script said. <sighs> but also, so the dad's like... Is Lauren here? Well, she was, like, an hour ago. Car's still out front. What? Damn it, they got my phone and my keys. Yeah, they cut the landline too. What about your cell? Damn it, it's dead. All right, listen to me. Listen to me, Emily. I need to go out there and see if your aunt's okay. I want you to stay here and lock the door behind me. No. I'll be right back. No, this is a bad idea. Let me come with you. Honey, it'll be much faster if I run out there and come right back, okay? Please? Promise me you'll come back. I promise. Lock up behind me now. All right, Emily. Let's think back to, I don't know, ten minutes ago, I guess? However fucking long this has been going on now. Way too goddamn long. You know your aunt parked out back. Because that's how she saw that your dad's truck was still there. That's the door she came into. She parked around back. Why is her car around front? Also, you thought she left. Why is her car there at all? I don't know. Talk to your dad. Tell him. Aunt was here. I thought she left. Jimmy was here. My boyfriend. Jimmy was here. And he just kind of walked out of the room and disappeared completely. Why, why are we not telling each other things? It's, it's just that, like, horror bad logic. And, and the other part of it is he goes out to check on the car of the aunt. And he says, Emily, you stay in here. We're splitting up again. Yes, I know. Whatever. Stay inside. Lock the door. Uh, Dad, there's like 15,000 doors to this big house and an untold amount of windows. Locking one door is not going to do it. And it's been made very clear that even dumbass Jimmy, who is repeatedly called a dumbass 18-year-old throughout the movie, he can just climb into a second-floor window at will. Yeah. Clearly, this house is super fucking easy to break into. (laughs) It's also too big to clear. 
by yourself or with two people. And like the, the killer could very easily just then be in one room over because there's two, there's so many rooms. Yeah. But dad goes outside, the car comes, you know, he tries to shoot. I'm trying to count his shots fired. He falls down. Yeah, I didn't even bother with counting the shots. Apparently he wastes all of them, though, so that's good. He's a terrible shot. He should have just waited till they got close enough to see the whites of their eyes and pulled the trigger, Patriot style, as we would all do. Yeah, then then we're we're back inside. We, we hear some noise down the hall. So, Klaus, I'm going to set up a situation for you, and I want you to tell me what you would do, how you would react if you were in a similar situation. You came over to your girlfriend's house. She said there was somebody in the house. After walking around aimlessly for 15 fucking minutes, you see that she has a bad wound and you say you're going to go find some stuff to help her. You get knocked out. I'm assuming some of this because we're not shown this in the film. But I assume you were knocked out, dragged into another room, dressed up in an outfit, and you have your hands duct tape behind your back and duct tape over your mouth and a mask on. You wake up, you manage to get the door open, and step out into the hallway, and the first thing you see is your girlfriend's dad pointing a gun at you. What do you do? Uh, let's see. I think, you know, I, I can't talk because my mouth is masked. Exactly. Um, let's see. I can't can't put my hands up. Um, I, I'm dressed as the killer. Right. Okay. So, I, okay. All right. I think what I do is... I gotta charge him. Yeah, you just charge at the dad. I gotta like I gotta mom a lot, like some loud noises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to say, hey, it's me, but like angrily, you know, just to let him know that I'm scared. And then uh head first, just like right towards him to give him a hug. Just full on linebacker with his arms tied behind his back. Yeah, just what I would actually do is like turn around and like wiggle my fingers and show them that my hands are taped behind my back and walk backwards slowly. People, if you find yourself in this situation, lay down on the ground. Show that you are not a threat. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Lay down on the ground with your face on the fucking floor. They will see that your hands are tied behind your back. They will probably not shoot you unless they're a cop, in which case they will shoot you while you're lying on the ground because they're a cop. You know, just just show you're not a threat. That's all you gotta do. But instead, this dumb motherfucker just charges at the dad, and the dad shoots his ass (laughs) and kills him. (laughs) I think he's a great shot. (laughs) Yeah, now he's a great shot. Shoots him twice. Like, shoots him once. He just needs a nearly full-grown man about six inches away from the muzzle of his gun. Then he could shoot him. Yeah, shoots the boyfriend. Emily runs off, runs outside. I think out the front door and starts running through the grass and stuff. Yeah, she's like running through this desert area, wherever the fuck we are in California. Immediately trips over her aunt's body. What What are the chances of that? Like, just <laughs> happen to run in the exact direction of her aunt's body and falls over it. And yeah, and yet again, another thing where it's like, this would make sense if there is a supernatural being that can like magically make this shit happen. Your other option is they're not supernatural, but they just are the most brilliant planners to ever plan ever, <laughs> which is not the case. But she runs out and finds the greatest truck I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. This, what was it like a big old yellow ass old like Chevy or something like that? Uh, do you know Cars and Cars 2, the, some of the greatest movies I've ever made? Uh, 
yeah, of course. I mean, I, I've dabbled with yeah, yeah. I mean, it it's not quite as clunky as Tater. I mean, and nice. not nearly as racist. So that's good. Luckily, there's this guy driving out, you know, at midnight or whatever time it is. That, like, I I do like this actor who's the truck driver, as the credits tell us. He's only in it for like all of ten seconds, but he, I've seen him in. Yeah, he does. I, I've seen him in other stuff, and he is a really good little character actor, and he pops up in tons of shit. But, god damn, he's, it, he just has this crazy girl run up to his truck. Holy crap! Who cares? Who cares? Jesus help. Christ! Please! Please, you, you have doing? to help me, please! Wait, are you okay? Oh, there's somebody! There's somebody who's trying to kill us! Where? Wait, wait, let's get you out of here! Come on! No, no, no wait, wait, no, 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 no! But, <laughs> My God, he's still inside. Please, you have to help me. It's, it's, it's okay. I have, I have a radio in the truck. We'll call the police. Just get inside. Holy crap. She gets in the truck and he opens the door and is about to grab the hand radio and just catches an axe right in the back. Big old, big old dumb face <laughs> right in the camera and then just slinks down off screen. And then the next scene is like 45 minutes of Emily reaching for the door and trying to close it. Oh, God. And then yelling into a hand radio. Ugh. Which also suddenly doesn't work. Well, yeah, of course, because the killer hit the hood of the truck with an axe, which immediately yeah. kills the truck. I've played video games. I know that's how this works. <laughs> she, he tries the, so George, curious George, opens the door and is trying to drag her out. She bites him, which is just great. Love it. Gotta go full feral at this point, baby. <laughs> Gets him off her. Dad comes out with his whatever bullets he has left. I guess one. I counted five of six shots fired after killing the boyfriend, so I guess he had one left. She she runs all the way back to the house and finds Dad. He was he was right behind me. There was this truck driver that's so, so up for me, but they they killed him. How many? I, I don't know. I think just one. And there's a truck up there? Yeah, maybe we can get away. One of the other. If the keys are still in it, but listen, we gotta... We gotta go back to the house. Listen, I'm out of bullets. And I don't want to go up there in case anyone's up there without bullets, all right? So we've got to go back to the house, all right? I'm gonna hide you in the garage, and I'll only be a minute, and then we'll go get that truck, okay? Thanks for reminding us, Dad. The killers are smart, and they take cell phones and keys. They have done that repeatedly, except for with your cell phone. What happened to his cell phone? Oh, it was ringing. Yeah, and his cell phone is just magically dead five seconds after she finds him. Good job, writers. You did the thing. Good job. You're great. God damn it, I fucking hate these people. So... He's like, look, we can't go out there without bullets. I don't feel safe without bullets. So I'm going to go get more bullets, and we should definitely split up for that to happen. Because Again. this is Scooby-Doo, and there's no movie if we don't split up more. So I'm going to put you in the garage. You're going to hold on to the bumper of the truck, and you just stay there. Don't worry, I'll be right back. And uh, BT Dubs, I'm going to close the garage so that everyone, like, within 
you know, 500 feet, hears that and knows there's someone in the crotch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to broadcast your whereabouts when you have a killer running around your house. I can't wait to get to when the dad gets killed because the windup <laughs> of the stab is one of the most bugs bunny, like ridiculous cartoonish things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Bugs and Daffy teamed up for this one for sure because he's a, he's like looking out the door and the killer's right outside the door, like sticking a knife through the gap in the door and shit, and the dad's just like staring him down. And then another killer in the exact same outfit just comes around the corner out of nowhere and sticks a knife right into his back. And he like full up. Imagine an arm; it's in a right ang- in a right angle at the elbow, and he brings the elbow up to the like the height of his shoulder, and then comes into it. <laughs> so, a little behind the scenes here. I noticed in the credits, I I saw you know the name for the intruder. And then I saw the name for intruder number two. And then later in the credits, I saw the same name that was beside intruder number two beside someone else in the credits. And I forget what the exact credit was, but basically what it boils down to is the person whose house they rented to shoot the movie in, that was intruder number two. So yeah, they totally just let the guy who owned the house be in the movie because... I guess that's how they got the house. They were like, look, we can't pay you, but you can be in our shitty movie. He's like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, can I walk around with a knife like this up by my ear for no reason? They're like, yeah, man, go for it. (laughs) What the fuck? Uh, Now, now here is actually something I wanted to, you know, drive into your movie knowledge and see if you can pull this out. Okay. There was these two killers. Mm-hmm. And and I may be drawing lines to something that isn't there. There's two killers and giving them credit that isn't due. Now, there's also the boyfriend mentions two friends earlier in the film. Oh, fuck. I can't believe I forgot this scene. I wanted to talk about this scene so goddamn much. Because the guy playing the boyfriend, he's an actor. You know how I know that? Because there's a scene where he's on the phone with Emily and he's palling around with his two friends while he's on the phone. But you never see the two friends. And I'm just assuming that's because they couldn't afford more extras. (laughs) He's just like batting his hand off screen and like, shut up, guys, shut up. (laughs) And it is some of the worst acting I have seen in a very, very long time. It, it, it's hilarious. He's, yeah, he's word, he's wording things, like, silently. Yeah, just mouthing words. Mouthing, yeah. The connection I was trying to think of. There's another movie that I think is actually a better movie, uh, which is not saying much, but there's another movie where they, like, there's two guys, and they're, like, they're wearing sweaters, and they go in. This is going to be hard for you to pull, but they're wearing sweaters, and they go in. What is it? Funny Games? I think so. Do you remember the names for those two guys? No. Uh, you're talking about the one where they're like in the white sweaters and shorts, right? Wearing white gloves? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. got to be funny games. I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, I was just trying to think, was this another callback to a, a movie? I mean, very possibly. I mean, funny game. if they were trying to do a funny games reference, I highly doubt it because those guys had character. Hmm. Whereas these killers are literally just faceless, nameless pieces of shit. One of them has a line 
in the movie. The rest of the time, they're just standing around, and they stab people every once in a while. I kept hoping that, like, the boyfriend was involved, or the boyfriend's friends, or, like, some sort of, like... Because you start asking, who are these people, and why are they doing this? And there's no answer. I think they're trying to imply that it is the boyfriend and his two friends... And the boyfriend got cold feet or whatever, and that's why they turn on him. Because otherwise, why would they have a third outfit? You know what I'm saying? True. Like, I, so I think they're trying to imply that, but it's really unclear. And because we don't ever see that side of him or the other killers, there's nothing to back that up. I'm totally just making this up out of... Maybe that's what they were trying to do. We'll never know because they're terrible at making movies. Which, that would have been a much more interesting, you know, direction to take the, the story. And it would have gotten you over 90 minutes. <laughs> and it would have been that. But flashback to the flashback because she's in the garage and mm. she's feeling around and she cuts her hand on like a radio, but turns out it's not a radio. We'll, you'll find out what that is in a minute. <laughs> But she's having flashback to the wreck and therapy. And this is like the second or third. It's been a while. It's been since the beginning of the movie. Yeah. We had the flashback at the very beginning when she was in the truck with her dad immediately after the therapy scene where we flashback to the therapy scene. And then we don't have another flashback until right now in the very last scene of the film. We get served up to a flashback to therapy, and the therapist is trying to get her to explain why she feels guilty for the death of her mom. And then we cut back to dad fighting with the killers upstairs in room for mom's stuff, quote unquote. Fucking mom's shrine, apparently. Which uh, we now learn is directly above the garage. Did, didn't know that until now, but yeah, we learned that, so... Yeah, and they really could have, like, done with a great, like, outside camera angle where you can see through her through a garage window and maybe the fight scene in the window above or something. Pan up to the window in the unfinished room and you yeah. see you see where everybody is in relation to each other. Yeah, but that would mean that somebody was good at filmmaking, so. You don't realize that she's lining it up until it happens, basically. So, she cuts her finger on a limb saw is technically what it is it's just a chainsaw on a stick so that you can cut limbs out of a tree that's what causes her to have a flashback to therapy for whatever reason this is where we get my favorite part of the movie klaus this is this is the best line that has ever been delivered on screen Sometimes things happen that are simply out of our control. Sometimes it isn't anybody's fault. You were in the back seat. Your mother was driving. She was texting. What was that? She was texting. She wasn't watching the road. And she slammed right into that truck. When I heard this line, I literally clapped and laughed for five fucking minutes. I had to rewind and watch this last scene over again because the first time I was clapping and laughing through the entire fucking thing and I missed it. Oh my god, she was texting? Really? That's why you blame yourself? 
<laughs> you stupid fucking movie. Why? It's a fucking PSA. Holy shit. And like it's... And that's the realization where things start to... The psychosomatic starts to like break down. Basically, we'll see later in a few minutes. But I agree. It's just like doesn't make sense. And just to be clear, she made this revelation what, like 12 hours ago during the middle of the day? But it doesn't affect her until now when she's about to shove a chainsaw through the floor and saw a guy in half. (laughs) Yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it it almost would have been better that it was her fault or something else, but what are you going to do? Cut to upstairs. The dad's losing the fight because there's two of them, and he's like, he's just such a wimp. And what happened to his gun that he reloaded? Whatever. The, the gun got knocked out of his hand downstairs when he got stabbed. But yeah, he's on the ground. He's losing the fight. Killer number one is like leaning over him with the knife or axe. One of the two. I can't remember. Why? Why are you doing this? Say something. It's mischief now. Cue Emily shoving the chainsaw through the ceiling of the garage, comes up through the floor, and just buzzsaws straight into the gut of this killer. And this is a pretty glorious thing. Now, if you're doing a real a real horror movie, what should happen here is she saws into the guy's belly, a bunch of blood and guts fall out, and then you should get the shot of the blood, like, splashing on her face through the floor, right? Like... Oh, Carrie style. Yeah, your heroine should just be covered in blood. But no, none of that. She's completely untarnished throughout this entire goddamn thing, other than when she stepped on that broken bowl, which was her own goddamn fault. So, yeah, she chainsaws the killer. Dad freaks out and gets away. Killer number two is just, like, shocked. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. I like what... Dad also has a great line here. Because the, the chainsaw comes up and cuts the guy's stomach up. And uh, he goes, ooh. <laughs> this weird sound effect of, like, surprise. And he just, like, runs away like a little baby. <laughs> oh, doesn't, doesn't take the knife. Like, whatever. Yeah, just leave everything. Who gives a fuck? And then cut to Emily downstairs who runs over. And the lines of Batman... Bane is flowing through her mind. And you adopted the darkness. I was born and raised by, well, you know, the crash. And, you know, it was eight, it was nine years blindness. (laughs) And she cuts the lights off. (laughs) Yeah. Now she decides that she's going to use it to her advantage. Now that her dad has been stabbed in the back and he has repeatedly left her alone (laughs) while killers are running around the house, now she decides. We're going to cut off all the lights, so I have an advantage. Holy shit. All the lights are off in the house. Dad runs away. Killer runs downstairs. He knows exactly where to find a flashlight because everybody keeps a flashlight in the same drawer of the kitchen. That's easy. (laughs) Killer's walking around with a flashlight. Fucking Emily's hiding under a table or something and just 
pokes the saw out and magically cuts the leg of the killer, which is fucking ridiculous and great. There's like, there's two things here too. One, like generally these things have to, you have to like crank them. You can't just like push a button and they like come on immediately. I don't know. Maybe there's electric ones that I don't know about. I'm sure there are electric ones, but uh, the sound effects they use are definitely that of a gas chainsaw. So. Yeah. So wh- whatever. And then she cuts through like at least half of this tibia. And then the guy's still limping around like, bro, you can't like just reach down and give your shin a little knock. Just like a light knock. And imagine it being cut nearly in half. You're not going to be walking. You're just not. But whatever. He walks around. She actually, she does one stupid thing and leaves her weapon. and But then she does a smart thing and opens the doors. Well, she, she used the chainsaw twice, so it's useless now, obviously. But yeah, she does like run towards the doors while the killer's on the floor grabbing his foot. Opens up the doors... But then instead of running outside, she runs back to a different part of the house, which was smart. Good job, Emily. You're, you're doing good. Don't worry, though. She'll immediately run into her father, who's bleeding out, freak the fuck out because she's blind and doesn't know it's her dad, and scream really loud so that the killer knows where she is. <laughs> shh, shh, shh. It's me. It's me. you got to find that gun on me. It's right by the front door. you got to find it. Yep, and Dad, you know, knowing she's blind, says, I'm just going to go grab her silently. You know, I could just whisper, hey, Emily, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, and he doesn't even do, like, the movie thing, which is, you know, immediately put your hand over their mouth so they don't scream. Like, he doesn't even bother to do that. He just fucking grabs her. <laughs> so she screams, zoinks. The curious George number two turns around knows where they are dad's like well you gotta go get the gun the only way you're gonna save yourself is if you go get the gun you i mean you did pretty good with that saw already but you left that on the floor for no reason so you have to go get the gun where's the gun dad oh it's by the front door i dropped it when i got stabbed like a bitch dad dad will you go get it i'm 17 no and blind (laughs) by the way in case we forgot Also that. I did forget, to be honest. She's doing the Velma jinkies, where's the gun? And just like fumbling around on the floor trying to find the gun. And it's the dumbest thing ever. She finally finds it. She stands up and she's just kind of like pointing it in front of her, of course, because she's blind. And the killer is coming at her, holding his flashlight up, pointing it directly at her. And this is where we get that beautiful POV shot of her almost completely dark vision slowly coming back and fading into normal person vision. It's like, whoa, what a convenient time to have a mental breakthrough and fucking get over your bullshit that you've been dealing with for nine years. There's there's so many moments where just like simple fixes maybe wouldn't have like repaired the film entirely, but would have like tacked a band-aid on a few things like what if what if that light triggered a headlamp of a car memory and that's what helped her kind of get over like something even before she kills the first guy have her be completely cured at that point but then she realizes that the blindness was just training her to be able to move around this house in complete darkness so even though she has her sight she deprives herself of that sight in order to save her 
herself and her father. Yeah, she closes her eyes or something. Yeah, like something cool. But... No, no, it just it just magically comes back at just the right time so that she can shoot the killer twice, and we get these awful CGI squirts of blood. <laughs> because once again, we ran out of fucking. <laughs> We ran out of corn syrup days ago during shooting, so we're, we're just going to have to do some fake CG blood for this and call it a day. And and call it a day they did, because I think they also ran out of film. Because <laughs> she shoots him twice. GG, we got him. Too easy. Cop lights come on. Ding, ding, dong. You know, hug your dad. Uh, credits roll. That's it. Like 15 seconds later. Yeah, it's just like uh, the return of Ringo, man. Like, this movie's over. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Roll them credits. <laughs> oh, god damn it. Oh, but hey, we, we killed all the bad guys and the boyfriend. So, you know, it's a win-win-win. She got her sight back. Win-win-win-win. Yeah, all's, all's good in the neighborhood. I mean, Dad is definitely going to die before getting medical treatment, but don't worry about that. <laughs> Yeah, they got a kidney, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh my god. And and that's Mischief Night. Let's find the wrap-up. Like, final thoughts on the movie. Would you rank it? Would you recommend it? Ugh. So, as I said earlier, immediate two-point loss. One, for not giving me boobies. Two, for pretending you were going to give me boobies and then not giving me boobies. So... That's two points off. We're automatically at an eight as the highest they could get, which is why I'm giving this movie a 2.5. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> it's fucking fair. horrible. It sucks. If it wasn't for the she was texting line, this movie would not be worth watching at fucking all. I wouldn't tell anybody to watch it, but because it turns into a shitty PSA that made me laugh, that was enough to make it bearable. And... Like I said, I've watched it three times this week. That line still cracks me up every time. I think that's like, I agree. I think that's the big redeeming quality for me. It is not a good film, but it is a great film to laugh at. Yeah, there's there's plenty of shitty stuff to just point and laugh. And at the end of the day, that's that's where the entertainment is, man. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Now, I, I do have to be a cynic here, and I have to ask you what your thought is. Were they trying to make a bad movie? I don't think so. You think they were I mean, trying to make a legit movie? I think they were trying to make a legit movie, and it just because I feel like they would have had more slapstick, like they would have leaned on it a, a more. I think this was unintentional. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too cynical now because, and because I know that this director specifically has written and directed B movies before. Like, in his IMDb biography, he talks about how he was hired by beloved B-movie factory, The Asylum. So yeah, he he specifically calls out that he made three films back-to-back-to-back to back to back for The Asylum, which were Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies and a couple more. So he, I think he wants to be known as a B-movie guy, and I think he made this movie specifically to be a bad B-movie, which is upsetting because good B-movies are movies that tried their best, but because they didn't have a budget and because they couldn't afford real actors, 
they end up bad. Like, the director the whole time is thinking this is going to be a good, great movie, but it still ends up being real shit because of what they have to work with. This one, I think he legit set out to just make a bad movie for as little money as possible, and he hoped that people would go see it anyway. Like I mentioned earlier, Blumhouse. Blumhouse, that's how they make their money. They just pump out a shitload of really cheap horror movies, most of which are found footage because it's easy and cheap to shoot. All you have to do is find that one movie out of 50 that makes a billion dollars, like Paranormal Activity. Suddenly you have a franchise to where the next five years you're going to pump out a movie every year and people are going to put their butts in those seats and buy those tickets. That's all that fucking matters. And I think that's what this guy was trying to do. That that makes sense, because I'm, I'm thinking back, and a lot of the problems we had with the movie were more like the narrative, the story, the plot, the script related. You know, there's some acting stuff, but we also saw the actors, like, when their script works, they, they can pull it off. But the problem was that most of the time it was not, it was the script's fault. It was yeah. the director wanting to do a B-movie. Well, and to be very clear... While the director has a writing credit for this movie, the script was originally written by one of his friends, and his friend was supposed to be the one to direct it, but couldn't because they were working on another project. So he basically said, look, I'll direct it instead of you so that we can get it done. And I think that's where the problem started to really come in, was because he started altering the script, he directed it, and this is what we ended up with, was this hot fucking mess of a movie. And this is our hot, messy intro to this subgenre of <laughs> invasion horror with, you know, disability protagonist involvement. <laughs> I, I don't know if they're all protagonists, but we'll, we'll find out next week... Da, 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 da. So next week, we'll be watching Don't Breathe from 2016, directed by Fede Alvarez. Yeah, we'll go with that. I don't know how to say their first name. I'm sorry, Mr. Alvarez. That's that's going to be our next one. I think the differently abled person is actually the victim slash antagonist in this next movie. I'm not really sure. I haven't watched it yet. That's, that's kind of interesting. Okay. I've heard it's very good. Uh... Hey, it's got a 7.1 on IMDb, so it might not be too bad. Okay. But, you know, we'll see. We'll find out. But that will be our second installment on Invading the Homes of the Differently Abled. Based on this viewing, what what do you think is in store for us for the rest of these three movies that we have ahead? We'll have to see what's in store, but what I'm really looking forward to and hoping is like this movie, they set up the difference in the senses that the differently able person has, whether they're lacking senses or other senses are heightened because of that. And then what I'm really hoping is that we see some payoffs from that, not just setups with no payoff. I'm hoping to see that in some of these movies upcoming. Yeah, um, I, I think we can say this about any film ever, is that setup and payoff is a golden rule for filmmaking. Uh, I don't really care what genre it is. And... This movie failed in almost every way with that one concept. Uh, I'm really hoping the the next three movies should we should be getting better 
as we go along this month. Uh, out of the next three, I have not seen Don't Breed. I haven't seen that yet. And I haven't seen the last one that we're going to do this month. But I have seen the one in the middle. The one in the middle is very good, in my opinion. So we'll see how the other two go. But yeah, a uh, lot, of, lot of dark corners, I'm expecting. A lot of heavy breathing. You know, general shittiness out of the bad guys, I'm assuming. I can't wait. All right. Well, hopefully we'll have more blood and gore and more corn syrup everywhere for the following movies. Because, and God forbid, if we actually get some boobs in one of these movies, I'd, I'd be shocked. That's Mischief Night. Don't watch it again. Watch it one time. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Real Specific. We'll catch you next week for Don't Breathe 2016, directed by Fede Alvarez. I'm Jake. I'm Klaus. Goodbye! Adios.